BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Bulkabon. And I'm Joe McCormick. I thought you were going to do There's a Party in My Tummy. No, I, I don't know that one. Nobody knows this? There's a party in my tummy, yummy, 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 yummy. No, no, I, 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 oh, okay. I have no, no clue what you're going on about. We must move on. All right, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so today... We're going to talk about uh, robots and cooking more, because we did this before, right? We did this back in August 2015. We did an episode called The Borg Chef. And in that, we talked about AI, we talked about robots, we talked about a couple of different approaches people were thinking about. But there's been more... Uh, since then that, that I thought would be fun to kind of revisit and talk about, maybe even get a little uh, debate going about yeah. the value of a robot in the place of a chef or, um, you know, is the, is there enough value to, uh, to, to combat the cost of these? 
um, doesn't make sense. So let's talk a little bit uh, and backtrack a bit. You know, we've we mentioned in the previous episode that kitchen automation is one of those things that has been going on for decades. Uh, from everything from pretty simple stuff, dishwashers, toasters, uh, you know, uh, electric can openers, uh, up to digital ovens where you can program things so that they preheat at a certain time, that kind of stuff. And then there are all those uh, very specific little appliances, you know, the bread machine yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of stuff where we have tried very hard to make it easier, uh, less time uh, consuming, uh, less labor intensive, right? Uh, anything we can do to make make the process of cooking uh, more accessible and and less of a, a requirement on our energy and time. Um, that's been the case for for decades, but we are really seeing a push for that to go into overdrive, particularly with home automation and robotics being the two big uh, areas. Also, I would argue apps play a big part in that too, being incorporated into every device you can imagine at this point, like refrigerators and stoves and that kind of stuff. I also think some of this demand is simply based on people not understanding how bad robots are at cooking. Yeah, (laughs) I I can see that. Well, I mean, I think part of it is just, you know, all it takes is that one day where you've had a really hard day at work and it took forever to get home because traffic is terrible. And you walk through the door and you're hungry, but you have no energy left. And you're thinking, what am I going to do? I don't want to go out. I don't want to order food. If only I had a robo chef, I could just push a button and say, you know, make me fettuccine Alfredo or something along those lines. And it would just do it for you. Wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be awesome? And the problem is that, uh, yeah, that would be awesome. But we're not there yet. We're not at a point where where robo chef can jump in and take over. Um but well, not if you care about it being cost effective and good. Right. Yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. yeah if, you, if you want it to be expensive and bad, we got you covered. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up is I had read a book review uh, in Popular Science. It was a book review for the book Unnaturally Delicious written by Jason Lusk. And Lusk is a professor of agricultural economics at uh, Oklahoma State University. Now. This this book actually covers a ton of different stuff, not just robotics in the kitchen. Uh, that was some of the, apparently the early chapters had some of that. A lot of it had things to do with like gen- genetically modified organisms, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and I don't actually agree with all of Lusk's points on everything that uh, that he argued, but the robot stuff was kind of fun. He talks about going to a restaurant with his wife and they were, it was actually one of Bobby Flay's restaurants Okay, and uh, ordering an appetizer. And they loved the appetizer so much that they bought the cookbook for the, the restaurant, uh, which included the recipe for the, the appetizer they loved. Mm-hmm. Then they went back home and they tried to make the appetizer. And first off, he said the amount of time that it suggested it would take to make the appetizer was orders of magnitude off. Like it was way less time than what well, it actually took. Yeah. Uh, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll save my comments for the end of the story. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, he says, well, it, it, then we go through, we follow the instructions, we're done with everything, but it just wasn't the same. It wasn't as good as when we went into the restaurant and had it there. It was, something was missing and they, they weren't sure if they messed up something with the recipe, if maybe they left something cooking too long or didn't cook it long enough. There was no way for them to really know 
sort of retracing every step they had taken up through preparing that appetizer. So he said, what if we were able to have a robot uh, that could prepare a dish exactly the way a chef prepares it? So the robot uses machine learning to study the way a chef prepares a dish and can, without fail, replicate that same sequence to the point where it's using the the perfect temperature, it's using the perfect motion to uh, to fold ingredients together or stir them or whisk them or whatever, so that you would have consistent results every single time. That was that was the dream. So you'd have a not just a robot chef, but specifically a robot Bobby Flay. Yes, Robo Flay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. But, uh, but, okay, my, my other whole, my, I I just wanted to put a tiny caveat into this story here that, you know, it's, it's assuming, it's assuming a lot of things about a recipe to, to, to say that a robot chef would be able to duplicate a recipe perfectly. And, you know, if, if, if it's, if it's using machine learning to, to watch a chef and repeat steps back, then, then that's a thing. But, Mm. but if it's, it's reading off of a recipe, then there's there's many many things that can go wrong. A lot wrong. of other factors, M- mostly the human error in writing recipes, which sure. I suspect is what was the problem. It could this. very easily have been that someone had put in the wrong measurement for mm-hmm. something or left an ingredient out entirely. Uh, sure, but I mean, you also have to assume that the atmospheric conditions in your house are comparable to those of the chef's kitchen, that your appliances and equipment are precise and non-reactive, as in uh, you're not having a reaction between like aluminum and lemon juice, which is a thing that happens. All I'm trying to say here is that uh, cooking, and especially baking, are, are edible chemistry. And there are so many things that can go awry. Uh, sure. I mean, the first thing that occurred to me when you said that they went home and they made it and it wasn't the same was, well, did they get their ingredients from the same place? Because I imagine the ingredients they bought were probably not as good as the ingredients that were bought by this restaurant. Yeah. It's quite possible. Did they weigh them or measure them? Yeah. So if, if not you're... Not weight isn't a measurement. You guys know what I if, mean. If you're able to... <laughs> if you're Right. If they, by volume or weight... Uh, if, if in fact they were following it as closely as they possibly could with the ingredients that were as close to the same quality as the restaurant, there still could be other factors at play, like Lauren is saying, that could affect this. Now, if you had a robot, it may very well be that the robot making the recipe would also come up with something that does not taste as good as what they had at the restaurant. I would argue, however, the robot would be more likely to consistently make it not as good as the restaurant uh-huh. because that's what robots do, right? Robots are really good at repeating steps that they have been programmed to do or, in the case of machine learning, taught how to do. Assuming the starting conditions are the same. Right. Another thing that's difficult with cooking. Yes. Obviously, if you are uh, – one of the things we pointed out in our previous episode, uh, one of the, the specific robots we talked about was Moly. Uh, that's the, the kitchen that has the two arms coming down from like the, the ho- kitchen hood, the oven hood. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's like it, something out of Robocop. And you pointed out, Joe, in that episode that, uh, something as simple as replacing the extra virgin olive oil with arsenic would create an entirely different dinner party than the one you had intended. Right. Because it doesn't know what the ingredients it's using are. It's, it's spatial programming. Right. So it says, okay, X ingredient goes here. X, uh, Y ingredient goes here. So it doesn't actually know that this dish contains olive oil, balsamic vinegar, right. whatever. It knows that it contains slot number one right. and slot number four. Yeah, almost every single kitchen robot I've ever seen uses different shaped containers 
to represent an order of operations, right? Like at this stage of cooking, add whatever is in the square yellow container. At this next step, add whatever in the cylindrical red container. And that way the robot knows this is the order I follow. But the robot does not know what is actually in the, those containers, what it means, or why it's order putting them in this order. It just learned how to do it in this way. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially aping what someone else is doing. It's not, it's not learning in the sense of you understanding what the process is. So when we humans learn, it's very different, right? We, we first might learn just through rote, right? But then we start to understand why it's working the way it's working. It, it's a level of understanding that goes much deeper than just parroting what someone else has already done. So that's already a limitation. Uh, but again, at least you would get consistency, which is something I can never attest, like I can never, I can never be sure that, uh, something I'm cooking one time is going to come out even remotely similar another time because most of the stuff I cook, it's by feel. I'm not yeah. doing, following specific recipes. Though, for y- those of you listening at home, you want to know what's the easiest way to make my, my cooking more consistent. There is one way I can recommend. Use a digital thermometer. Use a digital thermometer on everything and you get way more consistency. That's true. You do. Yeah, and uh your oven is probably lying to you. The the other thing I would point out is that while Lusk says wouldn't this be wonderful you could have a robot chef make you the perfect dish every time, part of me thinks well that also takes out the opportunity to improvise and to tweak and to experiment where you might end up finding that by departing from this approach that you love, I mean you love the finished dish you create something even better, right? Yeah. You you take innovation out. Now, you would have to incorporate something like IBM's Chef Watson to bring it back in, but then who knows what you would end up with. Yeah, well, I mean, this comes up to a distinction I would make. Now, some culinary people might uh, not like me using the terms these this way, but here's what I would say. The, the difference between a cook and a chef, a, a cook knows what to do in the kitchen. Right. A chef knows why you do yes. what you do in I the kitchen. I would agree with that that definition. Uh, understand. So he or she would understand all of the science behind why meat should be cooked to a certain temperature or on a certain type of uh, appliance or in, with a, why a certain flavor goes with another flavor. Right. Or, or at the very least, uh, a chef has has room to play due to their profession. Right. Uh, and and a cook is following orders probably to yeah. to to get a thing out to a person. Right. Yeah. To, a, to a certain degree of quality that has been determined by the chef. The chef is the person who creates the dish. The cook is the person who replicates the dish. Yeah. I would argue. Um, and in some cases we play chef or we may play cook, but you know, there are some people who are very much more in one camp than the other. I would argue I'm more of a cook, definitely. Um, I've tweaked recipes, but that's about as far as I've gone. I've never invented one. So, uh, the telegraph, by the way, also references the moly, this, this armed kitchen, <laughs> as in a kitchen that has arms, not a kitchen that has weapons, uh, in an article about 10 ways humans are still superior to robots, which is not an endorsement in the moly's abilities, I would argue. <laughs> uh, it says the robot has really only been shown to master the art of making crab bisque, which is specifically what we were talking about in the right, last episode. Yeah. Uh, and it's one a, trick pony that yeah making crab bisque it's great at making crab bisque so if you think crab bisque is worth paying fifty thousand pounds sterling to get a robot that can really make crab bisque 
have we got the robot for you? What's what's that like? Like seven seventy thousand dollars something? Something, something like that. Something yeah, like I didn't that. do the yeah. conversion, but yeah. yeah, fifty thousand pounds sterling is is quite a bit of money. That's yeah. very expensive bisque. Yes, uh, those crabs were living in the lap of luxury before you plucked them out of the ocean, I assume. But uh, just think about the scenario you described at the beginning. You come home tired, and you don't have the energy to make dinner, but. Gosh darn it, you can have crab bisque well, again, I, like you did every other night this Joe, month. please let's not talk about me having crab. Oh, oh. We'll no. get into that a little later. Yes, yeah. yes, so, we will. Uh, so, so, so Moly is, is not necessarily at, at the top of its game yet. Yeah, and it's not, and it's not out. It's not available for a consumer purchase right. yet or commercial purchase. It's really going to be more a commercial thing than a consumer thing, I would sure. imagine. But it is, it is still targeted for release by 2017. That was according to the Telegraph article, which was published in December 2015, so not okay. that long ago. Yeah. So uh, unless something has remarkably changed, yeah, 2017 is when the company hopes to release this or unleash it upon the world. <laughs> uh, and I did want to put in here that that this company is not the only entity that's in, in the RoboChef game. Uh, DARPA has funded a robotic chef. Which is, I mean, if you've seen DARPA's attempts at making robots capable of opening up a door... It's going to fill you with confidence. <laughs> they they funded a study uh, out of the University of Maryland. It was published in early 2015. And researchers in the study trained robots to learn how to dupl- duplicate actions by watching cooking videos on YouTube. <laughs> now, if they also learned how to leave comments, that would have been the most destructive robot ever made. Like, forget... Forget making war robots. A cooking robot that can comment on YouTube and the game is game is over. <laughs> yeah. They they used they used data from eighty eight videos involving the manipulation of one or more objects and then uh programmed the robots to train themselves in recognizing, grasping, and manipulating a variety of kitchen utensils and objects. Now I hope some of these videos were my drunk kitchen videos. <laughs> yeah, with and, Hannah Hart. Right. <laughs> Lovely. And also uh also death metal vegan kitchen experience. Oh, where they just throw the 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 uh like the head of lettuce against a the wall and then hit it with an axe and uh I don't know if I've ever seen them do that, but it is a thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe so, but I didn't, I, I, I didn't have access to the full sample set, so okay. I'm not, I'm not positive. It's a possibility. Well, I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> when, uh, when the robots were then tested on their ability to replicate the actions from the videos that they were, from, from, from other videos that they were seeing for the first time, um, the robots correctly recognized 79% of the objects they were dealing with. They performed the correct grasps 91% of the time, and they guessed what action would need to be applied to the to the two ob- to, to, the, to the object or objects at hand uh, 83% of the time. So not not bad, not bad robots. Well, especially when you consider like the wide variety that typical kitchen utensils can take oh, yeah. in shape and form. I mean. Even something as simple as a ladle can look very different from one designer to another. Oh, absolutely. And that means more challenges for for object recognition on the computer side of things. Oh, yeah. And and they pulled it off thanks to a convolutional neural network, which uh, is the same thing that Google's Deep Dream is using. Oh, wow. So it it uh, it tosses ideas around in its in its own head, its own robo uh, computer head. and extrapolates on the patterns that it finds there before spitting out a response to what it's seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so that plus like a really highly specific taxonomy of, of 
grasp types and motions were were what drove this to to pretty decent success. So that way it would know things like with a ladle you're dipping as opposed to stirring or whisking, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously a whisking robot with a ladle would be hilarious, but not terribly effective at making whatever it was you were hoping to have. It certainly wouldn't get you crab bisque. No, No, we might get you crab bisque on the ceiling. That might be about (laughs) as good as you get. I just thought of another great video they should have shown these robots. What? It should be the Harvey Corman as Julia Child's alien baking video in From the Star, Star Wars, Wars holiday, holiday special. Whiskster, whiskster, stir, whip, stir, whip, be. Yeah. I have no idea what you guys are talking about, but I'm delighted. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm, oh. I, I haven't seen it. Is the we, thing, we're so. going to huddle around and watch a video when this is over? Okay, yeah, excellent. just let's mark out an hour and a half of our lives. We'll never get back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and okay, so DARPA is probably not interested in robot chefs. Uh, I, I I just wanted <laughs> I wanted to put in here, um, but but a representative of DARPA indicated that this technology could have applications, and I quote, in areas such as military repair and logistics. <laughs> uh, military repair, I understand logistics. Uh, that terrifies me, but you know, hey, go, go DARPA. I'm glad that you're funding like robotic you research. Oh, no, I you can't win a war on. without breaking a few eggs. I can see logi- uh, Okay, so, uh, I mean, <laughs> one of the ways we see DARPA logistics in robotics is in, uh, j- just carrying things like the, uh, sure. Dar- DARPA four-legged, oh, okay. uh, you know, the DARPA dogs. Sure. And yeah. stuff like that. They, they move over difficult terrain. The Boston and so- Dynamics big dog. Exactly, kind of yeah. So I, I, I can right. see it maybe. Well, cool. and, and I like the idea that with this and the grand challenge, which, you know, also, I made a joke at the beginning about DARPA trying to open a door. To be fair, what DARPA does is it funds yeah. the program. Other people. And other people try and make <laughs> robots to open doors to hilarious, uh, results. But I like the idea that eventually DARPA is going to have a robot that will come to your house, open the door, break into your home, and then make you dinner. <laughs> just, that's, that's the future I want to live in. Like it's terrifying, but also kind of comforting. So it does one random house each night. Right? It's like tonight might be the night. Right? You hear some pounding on the front door. You're like, oh, is it? Is it tonight? It's Robo Claws. We get crab bisque. <laughs> so cancel that pizza order, honey. That's right. Right. Man, I want to live in that future. So, uh, so less ambitious than these robots that would be capable of, of learning from chefs and being able to replicate a chef's, uh, motions and, and, uh, processes so that you could create amazing dishes are some other robots that are being incorporated into workplaces. In fact, there's one that's been around for a few years. I think the last, the, the first video I ever saw of it was from 2012. Um, and it's uh, one that's been used in, in uh, kitchens in China and also Los Angeles now has one, apparently. Um, so there's a, a guy named Shu uh, Runquan who uh, owns restaurants in Beijing, China, and created a robot to cut noodles. And the way that it cuts noodles, it holds this big, essentially like a almost like a log of dough. Mm-hmm. And then it has a knife in one uh, arm, one hand. That just kind of makes a windshield wiper um, motion as the other arm slowly rotates the the log so that it just cuts strips off of it. And the strips become these long, flat noodles. And it can do different style noodles, but that was the one that was on display in the video. And according to the inventor, uh, it can go about twice as fast as your typical human can go. And said that in a way, the robot actually became a necessity. It wasn't that uh, he was trying to replace human employees it was that he was having it he was seeing that it was becoming more difficult to find young people who wanted to work in restaurants 
cutting noodles because the job is monotonous. It's repetitive. Yeah. Uh, it's the sort of stuff. It's that not we, the interesting part of working in the kitchen, right? And also, it's it's what we hear when we hear roboticists talk about why we want automation to take over jobs that are dirty, dull, and dangerous. Right? This is possibly dangerous because you're using a, a knife, but more so, it's dull. And if it's also, dull, then you can get it can be dangerous anyway. Oh, sure. Well, in and in repetitive motion sure. injuries are absolutely yeah. a thing in that kind of industry. Yeah, so. you could have like essentially the equivalent of tennis elbow, but mm-hmm. you've got it because you're you're just doing the same motion throughout the whole day. The robot can keep doing it until it needs maintenance. Right? It's not going to feel pain. Sure. Um, they did not program it to do so. Yeah, and of course uh, <laughs> that uh, we know of. <laughs> uh, automated preparation of of certain food stuff sizes and portions and stuff like that is is nothing new inherently because right. you see that at the industrial level. Sure. Uh, but now I guess what's interesting here is that this is this is at the end of the consumer chain, pretty right. much. This, this is, is in this the is restaurant in kitchen. a restaurant where you are making homemade noodles within the restaurant. So it's not like you've ordered the noodles that were produced in some factory that had a huge automated assembly line that created the noodles. You're actually making the dough in-house, and then you are cutting the noodles in-house with this robot. He also designed it to have kind of this humanoid shape, Mm -hmm. uh, and it has sort of a retro robot look to it. Like, it makes me think of classic uh, Japanese animation. Um, uh, And uh, it has this, uh, this, you know, very... Uh, stylistic approach that is completely unnecessary. Really, when you get down to it, it's it's two arms. Mm-hmm. One arm that holds the wad of dough the, or the log of dough and the other arm that holds the knife that does this windshield wiper motion. Uh, but he's created it where it's got a torso and a head and eyes. So it becomes almost like a show. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a part of the entertainment factor, the attraction of going to a restaurant. And thus, uh, one could argue... It adds value not just because it's doing a job that people either don't want to do or it's not really great for people to do all day, every day. Uh, and it's in itself a curiosity that draws people in and thus drives business for the restaurant, uh, which is kind of cool. I, I like that idea uh, that it's not just an automation response to a problem, but also a creative way to... Uh, engage people's curiosity. Granted, uh, just going to put this out there. If you see a robot flashing a knife around, don't get too close. <laughs> Dude will cut you. Yeah. Right? Um, I'm a stabbing robot. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like, like the Futurama robots that yeah. all have just a single purpose. Right. Clamps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then you, you had mentioned the idea of, uh, you know, this, this is sort of like the, the last step between consumer and, and dish. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine there's still lots of ways that are left to innovate in, uh, in automation of food production earlier in the chain. Absolutely. Yeah. There, especially when you're talking about industrial size, uh, Operations. Oh yeah, and and those. I mean, the machines that are already producing a lot of our our prepackaged foods are, are things of wonder and beauty. As Joe, about once a week, shows me a video of <laughs> yeah. which, which one is your favorite one? It's the baby corn. Oh, delicious baby corn. Delicious baby corn. Mm. I'm sorry if you've never ex- so earlier. I'm sorry I didn't respond to your email, Lauren. It came at a busy time. I think. Lauren sent me an email to a video done on Slate.com, was it? Yeah. Uh, where they were, or, or maybe it was an article. Anyway, it was something on Slate talking about the how wonderful it is to just watch industry-specific uh, 
ad videos. Like like for, marketing pieces. Yeah, marketing videos for industrial food harvesting and preparation technology mm-hmm. uh, because they'll have like robots that get a bunch of Brussels sprouts and sort them by size. And it's got this dreamy music underneath it. It sorts the Brussels sprouts one at a time. And, uh, <laughs> See, I was thinking like the 1950s, like bling, 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 bling. Kind oh, of yeah, there's some like that too. <laughs> but my favorite one I've ever found is the video for the uh, industrial process for the production of jars of delicious baby corn. <laughs> and it's not just baby corn. It's delicious baby corn. They specify delicious baby corn. You should look it up if you get a chance. Uh, I will definitely. I, I am almost certain you've shown this to me at some oh, point. Yeah. But oh, yeah. <laughs> at any rate, so we're st- seeing more innovation in that area as well. And in fact, one of them uh, we haven't really seen yet. It's going to be unveiled later on. We're recording this um, March 31st, 2016. And uh, there's a robot that's um, was created with a partnership between uh, University of Lincoln and a company called OAL, uh, which specifically uses steam infusion to cook foods to create a new robotic cooking platform mm-hmm. called the Automated Processing Robotic Ingredient Loading Robotic Chef System, or APRIL. And uh, April will be unveiled in April 2016. So we haven't seen it yet. We we know little bits and pieces, but uh-huh. a lot of it's been kept under wraps. Yeah, we, we, we are recording this, by the way, on uh, March 31st, 2016. Yeah. So. so as forward thinking as we are, we can't see what happens in April yet. Uh, although I have a feeling tomorrow's going tomorrow, as of the recording of this podcast, is going to be a doozy. Um, so the robot isn't meant to replace a chef in a typical kitchen. It's a much larger operation than that. It's meant to automate large-scale food manufacturing. And according to OAL, Alice is all about, quote, recipe management and recipe control of liquid food products, end quote. So you're talking about making lots and lots of stuff with liquid ingredients. Obviously, you want precision. You want consistency for, for matters of taste, for safety, for quality control, all of this is incredibly important and and not necessarily easy to do on huge scales. Yeah, I'd say here's a good example. Prepackaged uh, chicken stock or vegetable stock. Sure. Oh, uh-huh. Stock, you mm-hmm. know, the stock that you'd use to make a soup with or deglaze a pan with. This is an essential part of a kitchen. You use it for all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most chefs will tell you the stuff you can get at the grocery store varies wildly in quality. But even the best stuff you can get at the store is just never going to be as good as a stock you make yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so uh, so but at the same time, who has time to make stock? I mean, a lot of times people you just I, don't do that. I've made very it much once in five years. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, also, yeah, like like who who these days just has chicken bones lying around that they're like, all these chicken bones are just piling up. Well, what am not, I going to do with them? They're not. Yeah. Lying and I have around. so many root vegetables <laughs> and I have three hours. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So it's very, very convenient to have a prepackaged container of vegetable stock or chicken stock sure. or whatever yeah. uh, that, that you can use in your recipes. So uh, improvements on this at the industrial scale, I can see making a big difference for home cooks. Mm-hmm. Well, especially if, you know, again, I keep coming back to consistency, but it's incredibly important because I'm sure you guys have had the experience of – Ordering some form of food product that you have had before, but the experience has been totally different. Oh, yeah. And, and like the flavor might be different. The, the the texture might be different, depending on what kind of food it is, even though it's coming from the same company, because 
we're working with lots of ingredients that have variety to them, right? There's variety of, of all sorts of stuff that can come into play. So, and, and that can be delightful, but, but, uh, on a, on a very small personal level, but more often the consumer experience that we have been sort of trained into and, and furthermore, the, uh, the, the, the brand experience that most companies are looking to put forth is one of absolute terrifying conformity. Yeah. Um, well, it, well, it's it's because you have an expectation, right? right. And if yeah. that yeah. expectation, sometimes if that expectation isn't met, it's all right because whatever you get is still good. It's still good. It's sometimes. Sometimes not. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, here's a question. I bet a lot of you have had this experience. You, uh, you're not somebody who normally eats at McDonald's very much, but if you're on a road trip in an unfamiliar place and you don't know what's around there, you might stop and eat at a McDonald's or yeah. some other uh, chain because of the you know consistency. What to yeah, you know you what say, to expect. I, I yeah. basically know what I'm going to be able to get. It yeah. might not be something I'm very excited about, but it's not. I'm not going to get something that's wildly negatively <laughs> surprising. I, I find I find that the uh, that I'm far more likely to do that if uh, I have traveled a long way, so I'm tired. Uh, that we have already checked into a hotel, so the promise of bed is close by. Yeah. And if my internet connection is such that I can't use a recommendation engine to find out where is a good place to eat, I'm like, let's just go to Chili's or let's just go to uh, that fast food restaurant or let's just go to, you know, something along those lines because I know what I'm going to get. Yeah. It's not going to blow your mind. It's not going to be great, but you at least know there's something on the menu you can order and you pretty much know what it's going to be like. Yeah. yeah. There's the, the, the server is going to be wearing a certain number of, of pieces of flair. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah flair is important. So let's, yeah. let's talk about knowing there's something on the menu <laughs> that you can order and how sometimes that's, uh, that's, uh, misleading. Well, I wanted to be able, uh, so I wanted to bring up something that's related to a personal story that I'm sure Jonathan can relate to us in a moment. Yeah. Uh, so my question is a little bit different than having a robotic chef, but it's still a way of introducing automation into the dining process in mm-hmm. a way that can help improve people's experience, maybe when they go out to a restaurant or something. And that is, what if you could have an automated system for detecting food allergens hidden in your meal. That would be good. It it would, because sometimes allergens uh, present in food are obvious. So you might know that you're allergic to tree nuts, and then your salad arrives at your table, and you see that it has hazelnuts on it. And the it menu, wasn't mentioned on yeah, the menu. menu they didn't, just didn't mention that. Right, yeah. didn't say hazelnuts, but you know what hazelnuts look like. You know you can't eat them because you can see them there. Uh, so you play it safe and you skip this course or you pick them off if you're feeling brave. Don't don't feel brave, people. Don't not don't, not, not with anaphylactic allergies. Don't feel right. brave. Yeah. Uh, no. But what about when food allergens are completely hidden in your meal? This so, can happen all the time. The thing that could nearly kill you could be emulsified invisibly into a sauce. Yeah, I call these ninja allergens. Right. Or, or it could simply exist in trace amounts due to cross contamination with cooking equipment. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like any sort of uh, cutting board or knife that's been used for one type of thing that uh, you might have an allergy to, uh, and then used for something else. Yeah, pre- prep gloves, e- even just a even just a spill in the kitchen. Yep. If, if you have a very serious allergy, can be life threatening. Right. So I, I imagine, what if you could have a device that you could just sort of hold over your meal, or if it's a certain type of food that you could put a little bit of the food into it, and it could tell you like, oh yes, this does contain. 
you know, lobster or right. does not contain X number of parts per million of lobster. Right. Well, people are actually working on devices like this. So one example I came across in 2013 in the journal Lab on a Chip, good journal name, uh, a group of researchers described a device they were referring to as, quote, a personalized food allergen testing platform. And the little personal name they came up with for it was iTube. And what this would be is it's like a small device that connects to your cell phone and then analyzes food for specific allergens. And it works by carrying out what they call uh, colorimetric assays in tiny little test tubes. And these are attached to the device and it uses your cell phone's built-in camera and an app on your phone designed to detect allergen contaminants by light. So it has a little LED that illuminates what's in the test tubes. Your camera looks and sees uh, if it has any of these allergens in it, and it can tell you. So devices made to detect allergens in food already exist, but they can be, you know, expensive or bulky, kind of big. And the, the creators noted that this device is only about 40 grams in addition to your smartphone, which seems to be the appeal. But the problem is it doesn't sound exactly like a tool of perfect convenience just yet. Uh, according to a UCLA news release on the device from December 2012 when the research was coming through on it, to test a food sample, here's what you got to do. You got to grind it up. You got to mix it with hot water and an extraction solvent and then put it into the tiny test tube. And then you got to let it sit for a few minutes. And then you mix it with a series <laughs> of other reactive chemicals, uh, bringing this stage of the test to about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you can use your phone camera to examine the preparation, and then the pictures are analyzed by the app on your phone, and it can tell you based on the color analysis not just whether a certain contaminant is in the food, but how much is there. So that's handy. Uh, so in in parts per million, maybe you know that one part per million of hazelnuts isn't enough to set you off. So in other words, you could you could uh, the waiter comes up to so, and you could say, well, the good news is. There are no detectable allergens in this food, so I'm, it's safe to eat. The bad news is it's stone cold. Right. You've been, it's just taken you forever to do this. Yeah. Uh, so that's obviously a problem with the technology as it exists at this stage. Now, this was back in 2012, 2013. I haven't seen any more recent news on this device, but mm-hmm. um, maybe its convenience or usability factor has been improved or is currently being improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in principle, a future generation of a device like this, maybe if not necessarily this device, could be very useful to people who have severe food allergies. And, and Jonathan, I'm sure you could tell us how it might have been useful to you personally this week. Yeah. So uh, on Sunday, last Sunday, we're recording this uh, uh, March 31st. So on March 27th, uh, I had a severe allergic reaction. Um, I went into anaphylaxis, which is a systemic allergic response throughout the body, uh, marked in my case with terrible itching, swelling, uh, and eventually shallowness of breath and other fun symptoms that required a trip to the hospital, the emergency room, uh, where I was treated for anaphylaxis. And uh, uh, it was unpleasant. It was a, I've had it before, but I had not, to my knowledge, um, had it with any of the stuff that I had, I was eating that night. Now I was at a a seafood restaurant and in one previous case, 17 years ago, I reacted to what we assume was lobster. Uh, every time you have an allergic reaction, uh, obviously, you know, you can, you might have a guess at what it was that would set you off, but 
you don't necessarily know unless you go to an allergist, and even then it's not 100% sure that you're going to get the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't go to an allergist. I just had never had lobster other than uh, some lobster bisque before, so that was probably enough to prime my system. The first time you encounter an allergen, you typically don't have a massive reaction to it. You, uh, you have enough that you realize, oh, I shouldn't do that again. Uh, the second time you do it, that's when you... It gets worse. That's when your yeah. your proteins kick into gear and start releasing histamine and you start swelling and having edema and all these other nasty problems. Uh, so lobster 17 years ago set me off. I did not have lobster. I had uh, some coconut shrimp and I had some um, some tuna. And uh, now it's possible that perhaps the cooking surfaces that were being used for one or both dishes had contact with lobster and that, in fact, it was some cross-contamination I was dealing with. It's also possible that there uh, was a, a a mutation, essentially, of what I'm allergic to. Not so much a mutation as just an expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which but, can totally happen. Yeah. You, you might develop a severe allergic reaction to, say, a honeybee sting. But other bees, if they stung you, you might not react to. Then one day, that allergy may also include those other bee stings. And you might be just as allergic to them as you would be to honeybees. Bodies are so amazing. Yeah. And you can just continue to develop those throughout the rest of your natural life. So, <laughs> Or you might not. No yeah. But uh, as horrifying as that experience sounds, I'm very sorry you had to go through that, Jonathan. Yeah. One, of the, one of the relevant facts about it is you're, you're not sure exactly what sets you off. Absolutely. You, I have no clue. Yeah. So you, you don't know if it's maybe now you are uh, you have this new allergy to shrimp that you didn't really have before. Right. Or or it could be that there you were right initially, lobster is the problem, and there could have been cross-contamination in the kitchen. Right. Or there could have been some small element of lobster in something you ate w- without you realizing yeah, it. Yeah, right. there was a lobster broth in the in the shrimp batter or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it could be any of those things. And um, uh, you know, without going to an allergist and really sitting down and going through the test to, to at least try and eliminate possibilities. Mm-hmm. Or going back to the, to the restaurant and being like, so tell me about your lobster. Right. Like, uh, like tell me about the lobster use in your kitchen on Easter Sunday yeah. of 2016. The safest thing to do, obviously, is just to avoid shellfish rather than to play roulette and see if, in fact, I, I could ingest it and not have that reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so how can one in these are modern times just avoid an ingredient entirely? <laughs> well, so you can go to a restaurant and say, I've got an allergy, which, you know, the restaurants don't always love to hear. But, you know, if you have an allergy, you have an allergy. Well, um, and I've got a thing to say about that in a mm-hmm. moment. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever had the experience of you go to go to a restaurant or maybe you have had this experience of being this person. Go to a restaurant with somebody who has multiple food allergies. They have lots of allergies or intolerances or mm-hmm. something that, that they cannot eat. And, you know, this can be embarrassing for them. And it's, uh, you know, it can make it difficult to go out to eat. Right. Uh, so you have to let the server know. And then the server has to write down all the things you're allergic to. And then go check with the kitchen to see if any of those things are in the dish you ordered. And then at least one of them inevitably is. And then the server has to come back and ask you if you'd like to order something else or if you'd like to have the kitchen leave the ingredients out, the ones that you're allergic to, which sometimes annoys the kitchen because, you know, chefs prepare things a certain way. They Mm -hmm. have a sort of spirit of the dish. They don't really like to change it if they don't have well, to. Well, there's also a process that they've set up that oh, yes. yeah. usually it's usually ideal for whatever dish they're making. And so when you have to purposefully skip a step or 
uh, or something along those lines, it throws off the flow as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I have a proposal actually for a way of making this simpler. And I haven't, I looked for some, an example of this on the internet and couldn't find anything like it except a sort of analog version of it. And this would be a food allergy smart card. Uh, so if you're a person who has multiple food allergies, you can simply have all of your allergens coded onto a card that the server can scan with, with their smartphone. Um, and this could guide your meal selection, highlighting all the menu items that you can eat as is with mm-hmm. normal pre- preparation and letting the kitchen know what to leave out of your dish if you do decide to order from the danger zone of the menu. Um, and I, I, I think this, this is a, an idea that sort of makes sense. Oh, yeah. This would make my life personally just a lot better. And, and it would furthermore cut down on a very real problem that kitchens are facing these days, which is this verbal communication issue of like anaphylactic allergies versus intolerances and, and preferences because oh, yeah. a lot of us who have the latter have learned that telling a server the truth, I have an intolerance to this, I, I, I prefer to never have parsley on my plate, that kind of thing, um, nets you getting the thing on your plate that you're trying to avoid because the kitchen was busy and they forgot or the server was busy and they forgot or or any number of, of issues of miscommunication are happening. Um, but allergy, allergy is like a magic word. You yeah. say allergy in a restaurant, you know, they don't want anyone dying in their house. So uh, what happens when you say the word allergy to a server, if it's a if it's a good restaurant, it will grind their kitchen to a halt. Uh, they'll switch out their cutting boards, their cooking surfaces, their implements, their gloves. It sucks. Uh, if they don't have repeats of those things on hand, it means that they have to sterilize things before they can cook your dinner. Mm-hmm. Um and so having a system that can tell the kitchen the difference between a customer who will be sick all night if there's a teaspoon of wheat flour thickening their soup versus a customer who's trying to follow pa- follow a paleo diet and and genuinely won't mind would be so rad for everyone involved. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is particularly uh, relevant today when you have a hyper awareness uh, of people about gluten and people who who frame themselves as having a uh, uh, an allergy to gluten when re- in reality that tends to be fairly rare. And uh, it's something that restaurants encounter all the time. I mean, there, you see a lot of restaurants proactively having gluten-free options on the menu, uh, not because this is so prevalent, like the actual condition is so prevalent in the population, but rather that so many people have kind of have have glommed onto this idea that somehow uh, gluten is directly contributing to an unhealthy lifestyle or has some, or has some other effect on their health that probably isn't actually happening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, or, or, you know, if, if they, if they really want it out of there, then they really want it out of there. And, and that's a fair thing too, but you know, it's, it's just a different processing for, for, you know, like just don't put flour in that one or, uh, or order right. something else or, you know, whatever yeah. it is that it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have a, I have a deep intolerance to bell peppers of all things. And if, if something is, if my burger is cooked on the same surface that a bell pepper just was, I'm going to be sick for the rest of the night. Uh, n- nobody wants it. Uh, and, but, but when I say, Hey, no bell peppers, sometimes the kitchen interprets that as like, well, pimentos are probably fine. And it's just like, no, you guys, all I want to do is not be sick for the rest of the night. I mean, it's just, that's just the thing is that in, when you look at it on the kitchen side, you understand like this approach where you have some method of verifying like 
look, these things really do have a legitimate negative impact on my health one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it would simplify that that transaction so much and remove the awkwardness that oh, yeah, people that do feel. I mean, that that, too. you don't want to be the person sitting at the table going like, I can't eat anything on this menu. And I've been that guy. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, not, not not just because of allergies, but uh, I, for instance, I don't eat mammals. So there are a lot of especially trendy restaurants I'll go to and I'm like, I'm going to have to either ask for something to be prepared in a way that it wasn't intended to be because it's all got ox broth or, you know, right. pork belly or whatever in it. Um, or I'm just going to have to like I'll have like the house salad. Just don't put any bacon on it, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and so I've been that person, too. And of course, now I'm the person who I I, I, I doubt I'll be going to any like. You know, seafood restaurants? Well, I mean, I'll soon? go to some seafood restaurants, but I obviously am not going to – I'll stay away from all the shellfish. Like if it's a shellfish-themed restaurant, it's all shrimp and grits or something. I'm like, oh, I love shrimp and grits, but I, I love breathing more. <laughs> breathing has won out over the – the uh, in that battle. Breathing versus shrimp, breathing wins. Uh, yeah, so – Great idea, though, Joe. I think that would be a, a really smart way yeah. of handling this, particularly oh, to yeah. just ease that 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 communication, which uh, is obviously very important and also can get super awkward. So I'm fully in favor of it, particularly as someone who does not want to go through that process again. <laughs> now, thinking about it from the other side, I imagine uh, something like this could probably also be abused in sure. exactly the manner – you say, well, pe- people just say they've got an allergy to like 35 different ingredients they don't really like. Mm-hmm. In which well, case, you'd be like, well, I, yeah. I don't know why you came here. Yeah, can't help you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully, people, hopefully, that kind of uh, impersonal method of communication would help people uh, be, be more honest, knowing that they would get the service that they're expecting. Yeah. Because I think that the dishonesty stems from being afraid that you're going to get the thing that you don't want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I think uh, I think most people in general are pretty good about not abusing those systems. I really do. Um, I mean, I, yeah, no I one realize, would ever mess with no I, one would ever mess with a system. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that no one would ever mess with the system. I'm just saying that I realize that, of course, wait staff and, and, and yeah. cooking staff yeah. encounter way more people. Yeah. You know, every single night. So to them, they may have a different perspective of how many people are, are really just quote unquote problem cases. But I would imagine that the, over the general population of people who make these requests, it's generally a smaller number than yeah. what, like, we probably sure. think it's smaller. Wait, cooks, cooking, uh, uh, staff probably thinks yeah. it's larger. Well, I'll, yes. Also speaking as the daughter of a chef, uh, I can tell you that the temperament of many chefs would, would lead to, uh, perhaps a large amount of disturbance <laughs> over this kind of issue. I often, one of the reasons why I avoid going to trendy restaurants, uh, is one, I'm so totally not cool. But two, <laughs> it's it's because I respect the work that goes into creating a dish. And I understand, like, if I look at a menu and I see that beef and pork and other mammals are just, they play a massive part in, like, almost every dish, I just say, that looks amazing. It's not for me because I would prefer to experience a dish the way a chef had envisioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... 
I, I also take that as, as a way of looking at it. Sometimes you just have to accept there are things that are not meant for you, and that's okay. Shrimp is not meant for me, and that's not okay, but that's another <laughs> story. So let's wrap this up, guys. Yeah. It was fun kind of having this conversation, too. I mean, more of a philosophical discussion than our previous Borg Chef episode was. But it was really on my mind. Uh, once I was capable of coherent thought again. So, guys, if you would like to reach out and give us suggestions for future episode ideas, send us an email. The address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop us a line on Twitter. Our handle there is fwthinking. Of course, you can leave us a note on Facebook. Search fwthinking in the search bar. Our profile should pop right up. You can leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive non-stop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination. So pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation.